This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. You've been on vacation for a couple of weeks. We, we come back. With a bang today, because it is, folks, podcast number 100 that we've done on the Mike Missinelli podcast, which is hard to believe that we have done 99 podcasts previous to this moment. And today we have carved out kind of a special podcast. We're going to we're going to look back at some of the great interviews we did and look back at some of the reactions on what was a great year for Philadelphia sports. I mean, you're talking about two teams that went to a championship series, one in the World Series and into the Super Bowl. Fell short both times, but we weren't used to this kind of winning. And so we did a podcast uh, almost after every game in those playoffs moments, but we also did a regular podcast twice a week here on the Bet Rivers Network. And thanks to the people for Bet Rivers. You know, I did not know what to expect doing a podcast. I was far into a podcast after my radio career and the Bet Rivers people came to me with this idea, and I said, okay, let's roll with it. Let's see how we do. Now, we managed to get some tremendous guests in 100 episodes. We got over 50 guests and really some big-time guests, and a lot of people uh, enjoyed the long-form interviews that I was able to do with these folks after not being able to do that in radio. Radio, you know, it's like five minutes. You stretch to seven, you're out. Uh, they they want to keep it brief. So it was uh, a lot of fun and very interesting to delve into the careers of the certain people that we had on the air this year on the Mike Missinelli podcast. So thanks to all the people for coming on, and, and especially thanks to the people for listening to the podcast. You know, I, we, it's hard to, to know how people are receiving a podcast, a different form of Mike Missinelli, but uh, a lot of people are enjoying it. We really appreciate the good feedback that we got from the people that are watching the podcast. And in case you're listening and friends have not listened to the podcast, it's really easy. I mean, listen, I, I talk to a lot of middle-aged dudes, right? They go, Mike, I don't know how to get to a podcast. Uh, it, it's real easy. If you don't know anything about podcasts, it doesn't matter because you know Google, right? You probably go to Google every day. So when you go to Google, you Google, you put in Mike Misnelli podcast, it'll pop up in various forms. The podcast is seen on all the networks, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And all you got to do is Google that. It'll pop up. You click on it. And then you subscribe to the podcast, and it'll come to your inbox for free every week. So let's start the festivities today with our producer, Darren DeGatano. Uh, Darren, who did a great job booking guests here. Darren, we made it to the 100th episode. Your reaction? I, I'm proud, Mike. I really am, because I'm one of those guys who, like you, wasn't really like a question podcast at the time, uh, certainly a year ago. And when you asked me to come on board uh, it was a thrill for me to get back to work with you. Uh, I, I'm honored that we've had a lot of people within the radio industry and television industry reach out to us just to say, really impressed with the, so quick. I did not think we'd get the accolades. I didn't think I could get these guests. Uh, and I didn't think that we would have such a roar right out of the gate like we've had. And I, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm having so much fun with it. I think we both are. Uh, but, you know, we didn't know what to think at all when it started, right? Like, we were like, ah, we'll just we're roll with it, like you said, and we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, the, the the attention we've gotten, the accolades we've gotten so quickly, so early here uh, after, you know, less than 100 episodes is really, it's, uh, I'm proud. I'm very proud. Awesome. Now, uh, I will remind the people, and we've been teasing this for a while now, but it's definitely going to happen and could happen as early as next week. We will be on video with this podcast. And we're setting up all the technical equipment to get this on video. You'll be able to see it as well as hear it on the Bet Rivers Network. And we'll tell you exactly how you click into that. But for right now, let's concentrate on podcast number 100. And let's start with some of the guests that we had. And of course, we 
we can try to rank them in, in order of importance, but but not really. But when you have Charles Barkley on, he's got to go to the top of the list, right? So we had Chuck on, and we, you know, listen, he was a regular on my radio show, and he loved being on the show, and he loved coming in to co-host it. So we were able to snag him for like a 45-minute conversation one day uh, during the NBA playoffs. And, uh, of course, we asked Charles Barkley about the failure of the Philadelphia 76ers at that moment. It was shocking that it was all the way they failed. It was shocking to Charles, who obviously was backing the Sixers to see if they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals and then to the NBA championship. So here's Charles Barkley talking about the failures of the Embiid and Harden pairing to deliver the Sixers to a higher level in the second round. I was very disappointed, Joel Embiid. I'm not going to lie because I told you, uh, James Harden, he won two games for the Sixers. He won two games. If you're expecting your second best player to win you more than two games in a seven-game series, you're mistaken. Joel, to me, only played well in the one game, game five. That's the only game, in my opinion, he played well. I give him more to blame than I do James. I really do. James won two games for you guys. All right, so that was Charles, and we thank Charles for coming on the show. So let's go from sports to politics. But we're really not going to politics. This man's a monster sports fan. Now, Josh Shapiro, the governor of the state of Pennsylvania, was a listener to the Mike Masnelli Show for many years. And so he would occasionally be a caller on the Mike Masnelli Show. So... We reached out to Josh, who's been a good bud, to come on the podcast. And he was really interested in coming to the podcast. In fact, he suggested that we do a future podcast from the governor's mansion, which we are currently working on. So the governor, Josh Shapiro, a monster Philadelphia 76er fan and a Philadelphia sports fan in general. And we asked him the question about, well, there's a lot of positivity going on all of a sudden. This is kind of a grumbly town. We never reach these heights. And all of a sudden, you got two teams that played for a championship. Here's what the governor's perspective was on the new Philadelphia sports scene. My kids all think Philly sports have always been great. I'm like, you guys don't understand the pain and anguish I dealt with when I was a kid. But um, no, I mean, look, we're just hot right now. And what I love to see is, uh, you know, take the Phillies, for example. They go to the World Series and they don't rest on that. You know, Middleton and Buck go and make some, you know, in Dombrowski, they go and make some really great moves in the offseason. Same thing with the Sixers. You know, right? we should have gone deeper in the playoffs last year. We know we, we've got a finite period of time here with Joel. And they go and they make some, some moves, Melton and others, bringing some more talent to the bench. Um, and so we have the, these ownership groups right now that want to get better. We've got players that want to be here. We've got a fan base that is just, you know, out of their minds, excited. Uh, it, it, there's something really great happening right here. And, and we got to just sustain it and stay onto it. And we got to support these teams. All right. NBA finals. We can't get rid of them in my head because the Sixers really, I, I tell you, I don't know when it's going to happen, if ever, during the MB the, uh, situation. So the last time it happened, we took a look back at one of my favorite coaches ever in this town the great Larry Brown, and the team that went to the 2001 NBA Finals against the Lakers, AI and four role players, uh, a, a really special season. Now, they fell short, as we expected. He couldn't beat Shaq and Kobe at that particular point. But Larry Brown, always a great interview. I love talking to him, always introspective. So here's what uh, the 76ers uh, coach back in the day had to say about coaching that team to the NBA Finals in 2001. We were playing with mirrors. Um, Jermaine Jones was starting. Rajah Bell came from the, the developmental league. We got him late. He even got 17, I think, in a game against Milwaukee. Um, Geiger wouldn't play. Um, he played the game one. You know, Shaq had to come out and guard him and gave us a chance to, to win. Um, you know, I remember you'll get a kick out of this after game one, you know, Geiger told me, you know, I might not be able to play coach. My knees bother me. So I got our video people to play, um, a clip of Kirk Gibson hitting a home run and limping around home plate and barely able to walk. And then I had Isaiah getting knocked out and a bad ankle bleeding and him playing. 
and I ended it with Willis Reed coming into the garden on one foot and playing. And, you know, after the thing, we're walking out, and Geiger says, man, that was a motivational genius, coach. I can't believe somebody would, you know, have smarts to do that. I said, Matt, are you going to be able to play? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who's the hottest name in sports media these days? It's only one guy. Now, I worked with him for a couple of years on the radio show. I co-hosted a show with him, believe it or not. But we've been friends for a long time since his days covering sports in Philadelphia. He is larger than life with about 100 jobs at ESPN. The great Stephen A. Smith joins us. And I was always curious to know, Stephen, and the relationship he has with NBA players since uh, he doesn't hold back anything. And so sometimes uh, cooperation with NBA players, when you criticize them, uh, they, they, they'd go away from you, but Steven doesn't care about that. And so he talked in honest form with us on the podcast on how that whole dynamic sits with him and NBA players. If you come at me because you think I've gotten personal, I'm all ears. Cause I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm a professional at all times. And that if you're saying that you think I've been personal about something, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And if you have an argument and I've said something publicly about you that you found personally offensive, I'm not going to apologize privately. I'm going to go right back to that public forum where I insulted you and I'm going to apologize publicly because that's the manly thing to do. And I'm a man and I'm going to do that. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And I'm going to stand pat on my position. And I've done that on many occasions. And a lot of times that I've had friction with players The minute we've had a conversation, it's been instantly resolved. It's been instantly resolved because that was what it was. In the case of Kyrie Irving, it's a little bit different because his father got involved and got a bit personal. Now, that's not for y'all to know why, but he got a bit personal. And so as a result of that, it's you and your dad. Okay, that's that's how it is. We understand each other. Fine. You, You where you are, I'm where I'm at. All right, so this show really isn't purely about sports a lot of the times. If you followed me on the radio, I'd go all over the place with modern culture. And one of the great guests I had on the radio was a bawdy comedian named Nikki Glaser. I first saw her on a roast. I thought she was hysterical. And uh, I I followed her career, and she was uh, good enough to come on the radio show out of the blue. I mean, really, I'm just a guy in Philadelphia. She came on the show, and we developed a relationship. I've seen her a couple of times. So we had her on the podcast. Now, it got pretty risque, and we're going to spare you those moments where I kind of, you know, she makes it a point to talk about her private parts uh, in her comedy. So we did talk about that, but we're not we're not going to give you that because we're a family podcast. So what we're going to talk about with Nikki is she was in the middle of an outrageously uh, strenuous tour, and so she t- and she appeared in Bethlehem. So we talked to her about the touring as a comedian. Here's what she had to say: You're you're in New Hampshire for a couple gigs. Uh-huh. And then you you go across the country to Tucson, and then it's Las Vegas. Now David Spade with guest Nikki Glaser, and I'm going. You know, all disrespect, David Spade, you, you might be bigger than David Spade right now. So you know, Germany, Austria, Netherlands, Finland, Israel, Greece. Yes, I don't know what it's, my agents are thinking. Um, <laughs> it's a world. I think I'm going to 14 cities in like 15 days in Europe. It's it's freaking nuts, and um. Yeah, I'm I'm bringing my boyfriend and my best friend, and uh, she's opening for me, and we're just gonna run around Europe and not see any of it because I have no time. I think I'm gonna take a little trip to Paris at the end of it and hang out. All righty, John Smoltz, former nemesis of the Phillies all those years pitching for the you know, Braves, and now he's doing broadcast uh, expert baseball commentary. He is really a detailed guy. You know, a lot of people don't like him. Uh, And I love him because I love the insights he puts out there. A lot of people say, well, you know what? He talks too much. Let the game breathe a little bit. But, you know, he's so into the game that that he analyzes to an extent where uh, I appreciate. So uh, John Smoltz was good enough to come on the show. And he talked about pitching trends today and how different they may have been today. They are today as they may have been back in the day when he was pitching. I personally don't agree from a selfish reason because I don't think that's a longevity issue. I don't think the pitchers have really much control over their career as they should. And what I mean by that is the reward system is what it is. So if the reward system is 
max out spin rate and get it all done. That's how you get drafted. That's how you get paid. Well, then you're going to chase that. But for me, I was lucky enough to pitch 22 years in an era that allowed me to pitch 22 years. And uh, age is just a number. If you're in shape, you can pitch, you can pitch. But today they're looking for a different type of pitcher. And what I would teach would, would be not only the ability to spin it and throw it max effort, but not throw it max effort every time. If you had gears in this game, I think that gives you the best chance for success. Justin Verlander is the greatest hybrid that we have of a generational pitcher that could start the game at 94 miles an hour and end it at 99 because he didn't throw every pitch at 99. He knows how to pitch and he's a power pitcher. There are guys that just literally sacrifice location to throw it as hard as they can. And, and seems that baseball's fine with that. Here's my biggest problem. It, it works analytically. It works philosophically, but for the player, does it really work? And I would argue no, but, at the end of the day, if you think that there's enough arms coming, you can do this. But if there's not enough arms, why are we not taking a better look at injury prevention? And the style that we're teaching today was in theory supposed to be more productive for the player, and we have more injuries than ever before. And the reason nobody takes a look at it is because they've got enough arms to fill the gap. So it does sound like a lot of pieces, place, place, replace, plug and replug. And that is the byproduct of the game. I, I've seen high school pitchers and college pitchers reach 100 miles an hour and the tweets go all over the place. And we don't know if he can throw pitch in a, in a barn, yet alone throw it in a strike zone. So that's kind of the way we, we have evolved because technology and information has gone there. I'm not a huge fan of it. I want to see pitchers pitch. I want to see Zach Wheeler pitch till he's 40. Because I think he has the makeup that he can do that. I want to see Jacob DeGrom be healthier. You know, we're never going to see a Clayton Kershaw ever again. You know, at the rate that we're going, that we're going to have, you know, the knuckleball's gone. Well, that we knew that was phasing out. Well, the guy who throws and pitches like Greg Maddox is gone. And to me, there's value in that. There's an asset that you can realize, uh, utilize if you realize that pitching 220 innings is an attainable art that we don't attain anymore because we're not looking for that. So. It's a byproduct of the game, and I don't blame the players. I just selfishly worry for these players, is six years enough for you? Because if six years is enough and you get paid, well, then, you know, good for you. All right, we weren't done with the media monsters that we had on the Mike Misnelli podcast. Two guys that are uh, at the top of their profession in play-by-play, and we had them on within consecutive weeks. We first started out with Ian Eagle who has just made tremendous advancements in his career uh, after going to school at Syracuse and really paying his dues early in the profession. And now he is uh, just a voice that uh, uh, CBS uses everywhere, including he will be the new voice of the CBS golf commentary, uh, taking over for the legendary Jim, uh, Jim Nance. So uh, we had a great introspective conversation with Ian Eagle, and we went back to his early days and how he climbed up the ladder the sports broadcasting success. I knew it at eight years old and it, it's funny to think back on it now, but I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do. I went to my parents individually and told them that's what I was interested in. And both said to me, well, that's what you'll do. And that's empowering when your parents tell you at a young age that you can do something. This was 1977 uh, this was not necessarily a, a common option for a kid at that point, but I was fascinated by Marv Albert and the voice of the Mets, Bob Murphy, uh, eventually guys like Al Michaels and Bob Costas and Vern Lundquist. Uh, those were the, the broadcasters that, that really had an effect on me and resonated with me in some way. And local guys in the New York area. I grew up in Queens. And Mike, the other part, my parents were in entertainment. My dad was a stand-up comedian. He was an actor. He was a musician. My mom was a singer. She was an actress. So looking outside the box was not a big deal. Uh, we weren't done with the heavyweights and broadcasting because we got Mr. Baseball, the guy who you hear doing Major League Baseball games on Fox and also NFL games on Fox. Young, bright, tremendous. Uh, and he joins us, the great Joe Davis. And, of course, he broadcast the World Series last year. So 
with the great Philadelphia crowd reactions that were in the playoffs last year that everybody nationally was talking about, we asked Joe what it was like to broadcast in that cauldron of excitement that was Citizens Bank Ballpark. Here's what he had to say. Mike, the division series against the Braves was the best postseason environment I've ever been in at that point. And it got better every step of the way. But the division series was already like, oh, my gosh. And we started to think about what this could look like in the championship series and, my Lord, what it would look like in the World Series. And thankfully, we all got to see that. But it was, as we talked about some on the broadcast, as much the crowd and the environment and the city became as much a part of the story to me as it ever does in a, in a team's run. So uh, the, the Braves thing is interesting because it's always been that Phillies Braves dynamic. You go back uh, the, the series in '93. I mean, you know, Braves have always been the, the nemesis, but it, it almost looked in that series. And I was there in a stands for a few of those games. It, it almost seemed like that crowd intimidated the Braves, and it was something I had really never seen. The Braves had played great all year, and they almost like shrunk in that environment. Did you just notice the same thing? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I remember. Reese Hoskins home run with the bat slam in that division series. And it's almost like when he slammed that bat, he was slamming the Braves to the ground too. Like this is over. And it was just a relentless attack from the offense. Yeah. But with just that wall of noise, I can't imagine what it had to feel like standing down there on the field for the Braves as things were sliding away from them on the scoreboard. Also having to feel that crowd. All right. Thanks to all those guests. Now, one of the most special guests that we've had, which really launched the beginning of this podcast because it got great reaction to the point where I, I, I didn't really realize how, how, how interested people would be in this kind of conversation. The great Angelo Cataldi, and I've said for years, I have tremendous respect for the man. Um, and a lot of people say, well, did you guys get along when you worked together at WIP? We tried to talk, talk about that in the interview on how the program director kind of set us off against one another and, and developed some kind of a competition. So while we didn't really socialize, we respected everybody's uh, and we all wanted to have the best show. But Angelo, who retired after just a, a, a tremendous career, and you know, I've said it uh, uh, many times that Uh, He was the linchpin for all of us to go to Sports Talk Radio. We were all journalists, serious journalists at the Philadelphia Inquirer, haughty, serious journalists. We thought our profession was the greatest. And all of a sudden, Angelo, who was a master uh, journalist to the Inquirer, decides to make that leap into radio. And we all took notice and said, whoa, if Angelo's doing that, maybe this is an avenue that we ought to explore. So uh, we had a great conversation uh, with the, the great Angelo Cataldi that a lot of people had a reaction to. And here is just a snippet of the conversation between myself and Ange. Well, I cast my chips on my life. Seriously, Mike. Um, my first marriage ended because I had done so much. As part, The career became your life. It's what you said. It's, it's the entire rhythm of your life. And when you're not on the air, you're stockpiling stuff you might be able to use on the air all the time. There's never a minute when you're not. So it had major repercussions on my private life. And, uh, but I signed up for it. And it's like the more money they give you, the more attention you get, the more, you know, more desirous you are to keep it going. Let me see how long I can keep the ball in the air. And then it goes from five years to 10 and 15 and 20. And then you start saying to yourself, there's got to be an end game here somewhere. But it, it keeps you going as long as you can. And you pretty much sacrifice everything for it. So let me ask you, did you enjoy your life? Because you're a guy who was very disciplined. You would go to, to bed at 7 o'clock. You would get up at the proper time to prepare. You you would have to catch up on games that you missed because you weren't going to stay up until 11 o'clock to right. see the conclusion. So um, did was it a life that you enjoyed? Uh, you got the fame. You got the money. You got things that you never thought you'd get. But, but did you take the, the moment to say, I enjoy this? Um, I never did. Uh, I may know next year when I'm not doing it. What I can tell you is this. I lived two different lives. I lived the first life. In fact, our careers are on the same trajectory as that goes. On the road all the time, covering sports events, covering teams, dealing with locker rooms, all that. That was one life. That was a life where I went to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. Then I went to a life where I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was a whole different set of requirements. So, yeah, you know what? To get to live two entirely different careers 
and be happy in both careers. Yeah, I think that's all you can say for yourself. I've got a good private life. I got a great wife. I got terrific grandkids. I got I look, I bitch for a living, but I can't really bitch that much about my own life. It came out okay. All right. Thanks to everybody who was a guest. We had a great time talking to everybody. Just give you a little sample of what we did in the first 99 episodes of the Mike Missinelli podcast. But of course, we were more than just guests. And uh, one of the reasons why Bet Rivers came to me with this idea was that they wanted my reaction, my uh, my kind of raw live reaction to the stuff that was going on. So what we did was, in addition to the two general podcasts we did per week, we did reaction podcasts, and, and we had to because the Phillies were cooking, and then the Eagles started to cook. So after every game, we gave you another fresh live podcast. So let's go uh, into the area of. One of the great years of Philadelphia sports where two teams played for a championship. One team disappointed, and the other team, well, I don't know what to say about the Flyers. are kind of off the map right now. But later on in, in the podcast series, we did try to rekindle interest with an interview with Danny Briere. But let's focus on the great moments in Philadelphia sports that took us through this year. Um, and let's start with the Phillies. Uh, they, they clinch the series over the Braves to go to the World Series. And, and that was the most stunning thing for me because I thought the Braves were a better team. But the Braves completely wilted against the Phillies. And I've never seen anything like it. And part of it was because of the great crowd reaction. I was at a couple of those games, and it looked like they were scared to death. The great, the big bad Braves were scared to death to play the Phillies. So what happened, it was the big game three where Reese Hoskins hit the monster home run and uh, they win the game 9-1, to one, and that was, of course, the, bla- the bat throw heard around the world. And then they followed up with an 8-3 win to clinch it. On to the San Diego Padres. And uh, we were all thinking, okay, this Phillies team has kind of come out of nowhere. We didn't really expect this advancement. The way they were slogging along, they got into the playoffs. We didn't really know what to expect from the Phillies. But they knock off the Braves, then they go into uh, a series against the Padres, and the Padres obviously have a little thunder in their lineup. And the Phillies take care of them in five games. And, of course, in that series, the monster home run heard around the world, Bryce Harper. Fifth home run of the postseason. They were down 3-2 to two in the eighth inning. JT hits a single off Robert Suarez. For some reason, the Padres manager does not bring in his left-handed closer, Josh Hader, to face Bryce Harper. And bang, there goes the home run. It was the linchpin of the Phillies then winning the series and going to the World Series. And here was our reaction afterwards. It's a special Monday edition of the podcast because we just had to do a podcast today. Uh, Listen, I have been covering sports in this town for a lot of years, more than 30 years to be exact. And there are a handful of teams and of seasons that forever stick out in your mind. And we come to you today uh, for, uh, to talk about one, one of those teams and, and one of these seasons. It's the 2022 Philly. So let's start off this podcast by reliving the golden moment of Sunday's clinching game. Here it is. It's one in the air, left center field, back it goes. Harper, the swing of his life. Yeah, that's it. That's the Bryce Harper home run, the game-winning home run that there's so much to break down with. But let's first of all, let's label it. Can you remember a more dramatic moment in Philadelphia sports history? Now, a lot of people will immediately go to the Philly special. But did the Philly special actually win the game for the Eagles? They had to carry that on. They had to win the game themselves. It does not get more dramatic than a game-winning home run. When you need the home run, the dude hits it. Now, they're going to the World Series, and i got to be honest with you, just like all of you, uh, I'm just a a bit amazed and a bit stunned. They're in the World Series, and they're going to be playing the Houston Astros, who haven't lost a game this postseason. They just swept the Yankees, and uh, they'll be the favorite to win. There's no question in my mind. Uh, say what you want about them banging on trash cans. They've now been to four of the last six World Series. They're a good team. And on paper, they're probably going to be the favorite because they're probably better than the Phillies 
on paper. But it doesn't really matter. This Phillies town, um, uh, this well, this Phillies team. Excuse me, I'm getting all flustered here. All right, this Phillies team, a team. I'm emotional too. I, I get. Like, it. I'm I can't emotional. Get the words out here on this podcast, but this is a team that slipped into the playoffs uh, with just 87 wins and, and made it in as a six seed, and it's now going to the World Series. And you'll never, ever, ever be able to forget that. Before they actually uh, won on Sunday with, a, 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 frankly, a Hollywood movie script, the home run by Harper, they needed a home run. He hit it. It was Roy Hobbs. What the F? And Jason Worth after the game, called it folklore shit. And he's right. Now, this Philly story is one of the most amazing Philly sports stories ever. And I just happened to go through uh, a bunch of them in my head. And, uh, and I tweeted this out before Sunday's game. This Phillies team is one of the most amazing Philly sports teams ever. 2017 Eagles, obviously. But uh, they were good from the jump. They were good from the jump. They came in with the number one seed. The 87 Flyers, if you want to go back that far, that Kitty core with Mike Keenan was a pretty amazing story, them getting to the Stanley Cup final. The 93 Phillies, obviously, we remember those characters, but they went almost wire to wire that season. Uh, the L.A. Phillies, they were the favorite to win. This team, you go, wow. I mean, this team resonates like no other team that I've experienced in Philadelphia. And um, I've, I've now changed the narrative. The, the Phillies of 2022 are the most amazing Philly story ever in conjunction with Bryce Harper forging maybe the single most dramatic moment in Philly sports history. And let that uh, just marinate. Uh, you know, let that rattle around in your head and digest and, and uh, you know, connect it to the feelings that you're feeling now as the Phillies are in a World Series. We didn't expect it. It's here. It's a gift. All righty. So we get to the World Series, and I don't have to relive game six with you, right? Because the way I looked at the World Series against the Houston Astros, as hopeful and whimsical as I was about their chances to actually win a World Series, deep down inside, I said, you know what? Houston's probably a better team. Uh, But they lose game six. I came to grips with it, that the Astros were just a better team. I think most Philadelphia fans also came to grips with the fact that they were kind of the better team. And they were, I, you know, usually you sense tremendous disappointment. I did not sense that from the Philadelphia Phillies crowd, tremendous disappointment. Of course, they were disappointed that they didn't win the World Series. But that had been such a magical ride, I think, that people really appreciated. So when they finally lost the World Series, were eliminated, and during that series they got no hit, that was the one game that I attended, by the way. And the Astros no-hit them at Citizens Bank Ballpark. But here's what I had to say after the Phillies made that climb and lost the World Series. Monday, November 7th. Now, I am going to tell you that this is not going to be as joyous an episode as we've been, um, we've been producing here. Uh, no post-mortem ever is. But uh, let's, get, let's get real here, okay? This has been... A great season, almost to a uh, to a wondrous season. The Phillies made a great run. It was an unexpected run. Nobody thought they would ever, ever be in the World Series. Nobody thought that they were that certain that they'd be in the playoffs. So they got in the playoffs and they transformed into a fairly magical team that gave everybody a thrill, carried us for a really long time. I and mean, we haven't talked baseball into November in a really long time, and we were able to do it this year. The city was jacked. It was ignited. Um, Citizens Bank Ballpark was like a volcano. So all that stuff is good. And, and the reality is this. Houston was slightly a better team. They were a better hitting team, although in the series the Phillies didn't hit. But Houston's pitching flummoxed the Phillies hitters. Um, and listen, they're probably going to be back as contenders next year. We're going to paint a very rosy outlet at the after we, we go through the agony of of losing a game six. The, the, the Phillies have their key players under contract. They have established themselves as a really good team now. They've gotten the confidence of being the world, in, in the World Series. They, they're they're going to take that in the next year and know that they're a good team. So with a couple tweaks here and there, 
they're going to be a contender. And I, I you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll be the favorite going into next year in, in the National League. So let's let's take it back and then move forward here. Um, we're going to have uh, Scott Lauber uh, on uh, the podcast a little bit later. He covered the entire series. He uh, covers the uh, beat for the Philadelphia Inquirer with the Phillies. And uh, we'll get his views on what happened and uh, what happens now in the future. So let's let's go to game six. Um, and there's obviously uh, a strategical discussion that we have to get into. And this is second guessing to the nth degree. But it's what we do here. It's what every sports fan should do. Sports fans second guess. My God, I made a career on second guessing decisions that were made. So let's get into it. The big issue is, should Rob Thompson, manager of the Phillies, have left Zach Wheeler in the game in the sixth inning? Uh, he had 70 pitches at that time. He gave him a single up the middle, and they had runners at, at first and third. Now, his last pitch was a 96-mile-per-hour sinker that Jeremy Pena uh, hit for a single up the middle. And the question is now, do you push the automatic Rob Thompson button or do you try to think beyond the automatic Rob Thompson button? Because the Rob Thompson button is simply you bring an Alvarado to pitch the Alvarez. He's been doing it all series. But do you alter your thinking if your pitcher is not in immediate danger? And immediate danger in this case would be that he's losing velocity. He's losing a little steam. He looks like he's done. I didn't think Wheeler was done, okay? Uh, but Rob Thompson trusted what he's been doing the whole time. I have a problem with that, a little bit of a problem with trusting the same thing that you do all the time because it gives me Jim Fergosi nightmares. But we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. So Alvarado comes in, and Thompson said, I just thought that matchup, Alvarado-Alvarez, was better than leaving Wheeler in the game. Uh, he faced him three times in the World Series in similar situations. He got two flyouts from Alvarez, and he hit him with a pitch. Now, Alvarez wasn't exactly cooking in this series. He wasn't the feared slugger that everybody thought he was in this World Series. Uh, but in this particular situation, oh, God, I can still see the pitch. It was a 99-mile-an-hour sinker that stayed in the middle of the plate, sort of, and he launched it. A cannon shot over the the ivy in center field or whatever that wall is into the stands. Nobody could ever recall anybody hitting a ball uh, to that uh, spot in Minute Maid Park. All righty, disappointing. But then, what picks us up? Football season. That always picks us up, right? Another season where we didn't know what to expect, and all of a sudden, here come the Eagles, and they get into the playoffs. And they face the 49ers at home in a crucial game to advance to the Super Bowl. Now, the 49ers had been on a high, but they were playing with a quarterback who came out of nowhere, Brock Purdy. And so the storyline was, in this high of a stakes game, would Brock Purdy be able to come in to Philadelphia and beat the Eagles? Well, it turned out that that wasn't the storyline at all. because. During the game, he gets ripped, and his right arm also gets ripped. His, uh, his elbow pops like a Major League Baseball pitcher, and at the time, I'm thinking, wow, he's got to go back into the game, right? now. now he needed Tommy John surgery, so I apologize to Brock Purdy for thinking that during the game. But also, when they try to put a replacement quarterback in there, the multi-traveled Josh Johnson, who stinks on ice as it is, he gets dinged, and he's out of the game with a concussion. They've got no quarterback to play. Boo-hoo. Now, they cried about that all offseason to the point where the league had to change the rules on the third quarterback. But the Eagles go into the Super Bowl on a 31-7 romp over the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, here was the reaction that I had after that. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast on a Sunday night. Yes, Sunday night, a fresh reaction podcast tonight after the Eagles took care of the San Francisco 49ers. And I was sitting here and I just can't believe it. It is almost incomprehensible to know that after such long heartache in this town of not winning, especially in a city where football is king, 
It is now possible the Eagles will win two Super Bowls in their last five years. It is a long, hard climb to excellence in this town for the Philadelphia Eagles, but they've achieved it. And uh, we're giving you the fresh reaction of what everybody lived through today watching that game. Uh, it's an amazing run. I mean, let's face it. The Eagles all year long proved they were the best team in the NFC. They were doubted by everyone. And they crystallized that today by whooping the San Francisco 49ers. Now, let's let's put some perspective on it, okay? I'm not going to try to con you about today. The Eagles got the golden ticket early in this game when 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy had to leave the game with an elbow injury. Now, I don't know how Brock Purdy would have played. It was the marquee matchup in this game, whether he was going to be able to handle the hot lights of this game, the hottest lights he has ever faced. And so we all looked at it like, could Purdy come into Philadelphia and be the number one seed? That was the main theme. After he got hurt, we didn't have to worry about that. Because let's face it, um, it, the the 49ers had absolutely no chance to score after they tied it at 7-7. They they had that one drive, and they were fine. They got the touchdown. But Purdy out of the game, you saw with Josh Johnson in the game, it was frankly an embarrassment for them to try to win the game. They had no chance to move the football. They they were resorted to, to having to run the football the whole game. Poor Christian McCaffrey earned every cent of his paycheck. He got his ass beat up. But the, the Eagles, I don't want to take away anything from the Eagles because it really that's not the story. The, the, the 49ers had no chance to score. I get it. But the story is this team. The story is the Eagles and how they were put together and how they were coached and, and the players they signed to build this team and the holes that they fill. And it's just an amazing story to watch this team doubted almost every week uh, among the national pundits, how they grew. And now they're just one win away from another Super Bowl. It's just hard to believe. I can't, I can't even fathom the emotion that is going through the people of Philadelphia and myself. Uh, it, it's just, it's overwhelming. Uh, we witnessed a quarterback who came into the season with doubts. With doubts from even the, the strongest Eagle fan, well, how, how would he How would he be? Would he be able to grow? He grew right before our eyes into an MVP candidate. The guys that they signed were the perfect signings to fill in the gaps, and they steamrolled everybody. Now, Jalen Hurts went 16-1. and one. You know, we, we forget about, you know, the two losses that, that he wasn't responsible for, and they had Minshew in there. 16-1, and one, this guy goes. It's a, it's a memorable season. It, we're witnessing a team that's the best team, I believe, in this franchise's history. Uh, and that's saying a lot. Just think about that for a second. That in, in your lifetime now, after all the misery the Philadelphia fans suffered, now they've got uh, a Super Bowl in, on, on their uh, notch on their belt and another one with a team that's even better than the one that won the Super Bowl. All right, we're in the Super Bowl. They're playing the big, big Kansas City Chiefs. Can they beat the great Patrick Mahomes? Well, certainly it looked good early in the game, right? 24 to 14, they lead at halftime. And somewhere along the line, the defensive coordinator, who's no longer with us, and a lot of people are glad that that happened, Jonathan Gannon sat on his thumbs, frankly, in the second half of that game and really couldn't figure out how to stop Mahomes and the 49ers. And so the Eagles, on this long-traveled road to get to the Super Bowl, with a 10-point lead at halftime, wind up losing the game to the Kansas City Chiefs as Andy Reid gets another Super Bowl victory. Pat Mahomes, let's face it, he was magic. Two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. He had a key 26-yard scramble, which to me was the play of the game, to get a first down to set up the game-winning field goal by Harrison Bucker, and the Eagles lose. So on the heels of the Phillies losing the World Series, the Eagles losing the Super Bowl. And again, for me, disappointment, yes. But like those two rides, to me, were totally unexpected. You know, when I expect a ride and they lose, I get really disappointed. When I don't expect a ride and they take you on a ride, I can't be too mad at them, right? So the Phillies lose in the World Series. The Eagles lose in the Super Bowl. And I guess I was okay with it because here's what I had to say afterwards. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. This is going to be a tough one. 
ladies and gentlemen. The podcast, of course, brought to us by Bet Rivers and then doing it hours after the Eagles fell to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona, 38 to 35. And I got to be honest with you, I, I sit here and I'm, I'm recording this podcast and it, it feels almost surreal to talk about a loss. Uh, and I, like like many uh, other Eagle fans and, and followers and the, the players and the coaches, uh, you, you got to be shook today. And uh, I, I know it, it was a great season, uh, but it wasn't a season that we expected to end like this. Here's the bottom line. The Eagles were the better team that did not make the better plays to win a Super Bowl where they were favored uh, and where they had a 10-point lead at halftime. No team in Super Bowl history has lost a game where they led by 10 points at halftime. So you got to look at this game. Uh, yeah, it was a great season. You're proud of the team. They took you on a great ride. But uh, I, I am left with devastation. And the bottom line, this was a devastating loss that followed a great season. And I can't sugarcoat it. Uh, there's no guarantee you can ever get back to a Super Bowl. So when you get there as the better team, as the favorite, you must uh, you must win that game uh, or you risk giving everything away of uh, that opportunity forever. You might not ever get it again. Now, we look at the Eagles and we go, okay, they got the foundation of a pretty good team. They got a franchise quarterback. But you got to knock down that door when you get there. And they, they had the door ajar and they couldn't knock it down. So I, I'm disappointed and I'm devastated. And it's the fact that they're a great team is not mitigated right now by me. I, I, I just don't feel that right now. Uh, so let's talk about how they did lose this game. All right, let's bring Darren in now. Darren, you just heard what I said about the disappointment and how it didn't really ring uh, all the bells for me. Um, yeah. You were shaking your head as I was talking about that. Well, I assume I, you were a little more disappointed than I was. I was crushed when the Phillies lost because, look, the, I, I have kids. My kids now are at that age where they're watching every game with me. Uh, they're living it with me. They're at the NLCS with me, uh, World Series, and they were just – like it was really special for me, and it came out of nowhere, and 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 they were. It's still like it was a magical thing. Like, oh my God, they're under or overachieving, and they just they're so lucky. No, they were just blowing the doors off of teams, pitching, hitting everything. They deserved to be in that World Series, and I really thought they had enough to win. I didn't pick them. I if you, if you got to check what the you tape, mean, you, you didn't pick them. No, you didn't expect them to win. You didn't pick them. Like, what is that? Listen, on a money thing, I'm like, eh. But I really thought they could win that series. And that's why it hurt me so much. Why I was shaking my head when you were talking was, I don't think the Eagles came out of nowhere. I, I told you by week, what, seven, that there was nobody coming into Lincoln Financial Field and winning. No one. And, in fact, the two teams that came in lost by a combined, what, 55 well, what points? I meant by that was that in, in, at the start of the season, you were thinking that the Eagles could be a Super Bowl team. There were so many questions. Sorry, you didn't, no. know, you like didn't certainly know about obvious. the quarterback. So that's what I mean with that perspective. Uh, but uh, Fair enough. Let, let's let's look at, at It the, was the uh, greatest, though. It was the greatest double. I think about this, Mike, though. We've been through a couple golden eras, right? You had 1980 where everybody was good. You had the Eagles' gold, first golden era under Andy Reid where they're either in the NFC Championship game or Super Bowl five, six straight years. Eight, 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 six out of eight, and then and then you have this, like, but that was the greatest six, like three months, right? Yeah. Like, let's say September, October, November, yeah, like six months. That was the wildest six months of my memory. Yeah, it was fantastic. But here's the way I've always looked at things: to be as as introspective about sports as I can, and to be as honest as I can. Uh, I don't get devastated unless I believe the team it, 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 being the better team has lost. So let me just take you through. I, 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 the Eagles lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots with Donovan McNabb. And I looked at that like I thought the Patriots were the better team. Uh, I thought that the Houston Astros were the better team. And uh, in this game, it's hard to say that the Kansas City Chiefs with a guy like Mahomes wasn't the better team. Where I get off is – when you lose a game that you're expected to win. That's why I've never really forgiven McNabb for the losses to the Carolina Panthers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or certainly the Arizona Cardinals. Those are devastating to me. But when you go into a series, you go, hey, you know what? 
the better team played better and they won. And there's nothing you can do about that. So that's why I wasn't overly devastated and, and was really proud of the new era of Philadelphia winning. But then we get to a winter season. The winter of our discontent <laughs> with the Philadelphia 76ers again trying to get past the second round, thinking they had enough to yeah. do it with the James Harden and Joel Embiid dynamic. And they get to a game seven uh, in the semifinals of the Eastern Conference against the Boston Celtics. They actually have a 3-2 lead in the series, and they lose at home. 95 to 86, which when you look back, you go, that's the game that killed everybody's hopes. Losing game um, six at home, 95-86, which meant the series was tied and you had to go back to the TD Garden in Boston and count on a a game seven to win. Uh, I didn't think they were going to be able to do it. Not only were they not able to do it, they got their asses blown out with two of the most disappointing performances by their two stars that you can ever see. 112 to 88, they limp out of the second round of the playoffs again against the Boston Celtics, who wound up going to the NBA Finals. And here was my reaction after that. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missinelli podcast reaction cast. And uh, unfortunately, this will be our last one of the season because the Philadelphia 76ers got drubbed in a game seven by the Boston Celtics. I, I don't even want to put the final score out there. I, I don't even, it, it's embarrassing for me to say the final score at this point. So let, let's get a couple things out of the way. I know how you're all feeling. I know we're all feeling angry, disappointed, embarrassed, anguished, astonished, all those things. Uh, we don't know where the Sixers go from here. I get it. So let's, let's just, first of all, Jason Tatum put on an all-world performance. All right, listen, that, that's the whole thing about this game. He put on an all-world performance. 51 points is special. Nobody could guard him. It didn't matter what the Sixers did. Tobias Harris in game six guarded him a little bit and, and shut him down a little bit, and then he, he got unleashed late in the game, and that carried over to this game. There was nothing the Sixers could do. Um, they really were reluctant to double-team him because when you got four other guys on, on the floor that can shoot threes, you're – reluctant to double team you want to stay close you want to see them get out and uh, with a barrage of threes so it was a special performance by Jason Tatum it's, it's a legendary performance it's one of those performances that you remember he carried his team to a game seven victory at home with 51 all right let me just get that out of the way now let's get to the nuts and bolts James Harden and Joel Embiid failed to compete today it's just as simple as that when these two guys, your star players, combined for 24 points, Harden with nine, three for 11 with five turnovers, he got eaten alive on defense by, by Jalen Brown. I was pathetic that this guy is, is an all-pro player, and I think you saw the, the dying end of uh, some Class D batteries right there with James Harden, and we'll get to that a little later. Um, and Bede, <laughs> listen. Um, I, I've been, I've been just leading the charge for him to be MVP this season. I think he had a special year, but in a game seven, when you don't come to compete, when you're supposedly the best player on the floor and the MVP of the league, and you don't look like you're grinding enough to help your team get over the hump, you got to take the heat. It is an epic failure. For Joel Embiid tonight in this game. Harden, I can live with. He's dying batteries. Embiid, after talking all year about he's the best player in the league, he's the MVP, all this, you needed him to carry you home. And for some reason, he did not put the energy into what he does most effective in in these games, which is get to the nail Make a medium-range jump shot because they're not going to let you do anything else. If you put the ball on the floor, they're going to strip you. And the other alternative is, this is a game where we needed your low post game. All right? I know you don't like to do it on a lot of possessions. I know you like to save energy. You need to get your ass down low and pick up some fouls and go to the foul line to overcome the fact that they were stopping you from doing anything else. They weren't stopping you from shooting a nail jumper. 
And most of the time he was hesitant when he got the ball. Instead of, you know, the pick and roll was being stopped. I get it. Mainly being stopped because Harden didn't have the juice to get it to the basket. But still, if it's being stopped, he's got the foul line jumper. And for some reason, he didn't work to get that, nor Harden didn't work to get it, nor did the head coach, Doc Rivers, emphasize it. So that's what we're left with with Joel Embiid. Now, here's what I thought coming into this game. I thought they had a chance today. I thought they had a legitimate chance based on two things. I felt the Celtics were a very flimsy and unreliable team. They had showed that whole profile through this entire playoffs. Their stars would disappear at times, and that's where you needed to take advantage of it. Well, tonight, Jason Tatum was not going to be stopped, so they weren't a flimsy duo, okay? But I also thought that Harden was on the third day train ride. He had a great game in game one. He had a great game in game four. Here comes game seven with an extra day rest, and I thought he would play. He did not play all right so that was kind of a wrap-up of the first 99 episodes of the mike missinelli podcast episode number 100 this is episode number 100 we tried to make it special for you by looking back if you have not listened to a lot of those episodes you can get every one of them that's the good thing about doing a podcast if you missed an episode or missed a particular guest that you wanted to hear just go back and scroll back and find the episode of the Mike Misselli podcast that you want to listen to and catch up because we're going into a new era right now, starting hopefully next week, a video era of the Mike Misselli podcast with more great guests to come. Let me just opine on the state of Philadelphia sports right now. And let's start with the Flyers since we didn't really give them any play. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to the Flyers. I got to be honest with you. Uh, Danny Briere, Keith Jones now in charge. Uh, who knows? Uh, they they seem to have a different tact where they're gonna they're gonna go with building through the draft and and trying to mix the, the younger players in and adapt to the new way of the NHL. I think the Flyers are at least three years away from being viable. So we'll leave it right there. The Sixers currently in limbo. Who knows what's gonna happen with James Harden? He wants to be traded. The Sixers are not going to just trade him for anybody. It may be another Ben Simmons holdout situation. Harden may, in fact, play with the Sixers. If he plays with the Sixers, does he get fat again? Does he go through the motions? Who knows? What I know is that the Sixers are better suited to win with James Harden than not, even though I am not a big James Harden fan right now. Unless you can get viable replacement, you're not going to have any chance to win in the Eastern Conference, especially this year with new teams rising up. So the Sixers are totally in limbo, uh, but here's what I know. You have to keep trying to build around Joel Embiid. The answer is not to boil this whole thing down and get rid of everybody and start from scratch. We have been through so many errors that way. You got Embiid, ride him out for the good years of his career, keep trying to build around him in hopes that one day you'll be good enough to actually get to the NBA Finals and win it. I don't know if that could even happen. But it, the other solution to get rid of them is not viable at all. All right, let's move on to the Phillies. We're in the throes of a season right now. The Phillies, a firm lock to be in the playoffs. And I got to rip a lot of people who have been down on the Phillies. Oh, this Phillies team. Every loss, you people have driven me crazy. They're fine. They're a good enough lineup that they're going to be in the playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs... You never know what can happen. Are they as good as the Braves? No. But they, I don't think they were as good as the Braves last year, and you saw what happened. So once you're in the playoffs in baseball, in short series, anything can happen. But the people that are down on this team for every loss, sit back. They're fine. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're a wild card team. They're a lock to be a wild card team. And for the people that are fretting about Trey Turner, don't worry about guys like Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. If they go through slumps, forget about it. Don't overreact to it. They're going to be fine. They're professional star players, and I'll take those guys over anybody. All right, and finally, Eagles training camp. Now, future podcasts will go deep into the Eagles, obviously. We are scratching the surface with the Eagles. We haven't had a preseason game yet. We will have one this weekend, and we'll be able to react, but there's nothing to worry about. You look at the team right now. Tell me that you look at the NFC and you find a team that's better suited to be the overall number one seed in the NFC than the Philadelphia Eagles. 
If you see that, then you're just worrying for no reason. The Eagles are solid. They're the best team, in my opinion, in the NFC, and I haven't even seen them play. Of course, this is barring injury. They're going to be great. We're going to be in, in, in store for another run with the Phillies and the Eagles. How fun. Two years in a row. All right. That's going to conclude the Mike Missinelli podcast number 100 for today. Again, we appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Spread the word on the podcast. We'd like to get everybody to listen to the podcast. We'll have some great guests coming your way. And, uh, of course, you'll have my saucy commentary. You're right, Dutch? Uh, I mean, saucy is not the word I would use, but that's all right. <laughs> Saucy's a fire Violet, word. venomous. Like, uh, Sunday um, gravy. Saucy. Fire Sunday gravy. All right. Everybody have a great <laughs> week, and we will catch you later in the week with another podcast. But this is history, the 100th podcast. Of the Mike Vicelli podcast, and you're listening to it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of the day. We'll talk to you then. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Vicelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.